Well, hey there. Welcome to the in between. Hi. We're, <laughs> thanks, Chris. We're uh, we're joined today. So we got we got Chris Leg, Paul McKenzie, and we are joined by Chris Sherrod. We're gonna have to do the whole Chris S, Chris right. L thing that you and I probably both grew up with. Uh-huh. Did you grow, always have a Chris in your uh, class? Chris R. Yep. Yep. I had a Chris S actually. Okay. That's so funny. Dad. Dad talks about how, um, or mom and dad both talk about when they were in elementary school and middle school. Um, you can always tell people that knew them back then because everyone called everyone by their first and middle name. Hmm. So people that knew dad back in the day call him John Noble. John Noble. Such a cool middle name anyway. It really is. It's such an awesome one. Yep. I'm just saying. I got, you know, juniored into that bad Absolutely. boy. My grandfather's name was Just Noble Redfern. He didn't Noble have Noble Redfern. Uh, nothing else. Wow. That's, That's a like, good start. Man, <laughs> way to set your kid up for success there. I was going to name Mark Dr. General, but the ginger wouldn't let me. I figured <laughs> that was the would. best way to set someone up for success. I really wanted to name one of my sons Beniah. <laughs> um, and I think we didn't on account of fear from the in-laws. <laughs> you know, we, we, might, we might have <laughs> angered Sandy a little bit if we did that, so... We, we didn't end up doing it. But my uh, brother-in-law's sister named her son, her newest born uh, son is Jack Benaya, and I was so proud. There you go. I was like, oh, that's amazing. <clears throat> anyway. All right. Back to the Bible. That's right. That music kind of throws me, speaking of, that music kind of throws me sometimes because it's so sweet <laughs> and piano-based. and Yeah. And we've, we're usually in here cutting up right before right you start before that. It and it's like. Okay. Okay, everybody take a breath. Calm down. Take, Calm down. That that may be the purpose of the music That's, is just to make sure that we don't say things like what we just were saying before we started talking. But um actually uh Colson's got a fun track that he wanted to play for you as the um uh Was it like my alarm music just then? Like, no, wanna, it was I wanna know what love is. Not, <laughs> <laughs> I wanna know what love is. No, um he was uh <laughs> he found one that's that's called uh, like a a song that's called the in between. I parts. think on the um, no. <laughs> wow, um, it's uh, like on the uh, whatever um, copyright free music. I listen to Darren right before no, our you podcast. Really I really should listen to Darren McWaters right before. That's a bad idea. I don't think any of us should stop <laughs> riffing. That's right. Stop being funny. <laughs> um, but anyway, it's like it's like hardcore. <laughs> nice. Just try it. Because <laughs> like, uh-uh. no, I don't think that's gonna work. But there you go. It was supposed to be a joke. Speaking of not being funny. Oh wow. Um, last Sunday we finally got to Daniel on the Lions Den. Sure did. I don't. I don't know about anybody else, but I feel like a lot of times when I teach, one of my main things is like, uh, encouraging disappointment. Almost like I feel like yeah. that's one of my when I taught through judges every week, I felt like I was getting up going, I'm yeah. so sorry, mm-hmm. but this is what this chapter in judges is about. And so to get up and go, hey, Daniel and Lions Den, which we just really know nothing about except that he was there. Yeah, it just feels I, I'm is, just sharing my emotions. This I is feel yeah, way better on a flannel graph. <laughs> it really yeah. is. Well, at some point we'll have to talk about and maybe even in a couple of weeks I'll talk about it, but the Veggie Tales effect. Mm. which is positive in so many ways, but then can often haunt adults down the road. That they're still that's, stuck in it. That's not in the Bible. That's not in the Bible. Right. It didn't happen like that. Oh, shoot. <clears throat> but even, I feel like even what we're running into today, because we, when we run into seven, we have this transition now where we're 
kind of doing a twofold kind of conclusion where seven kind yep. of serves as like a bookmark as the end or book into the kind of the uh, Aramaic section, the yep. Royal Aramaic that goes from two to seven. So kind of to the audience of Th- through, through seven, seven through almost, seven. almost to the end of seven and uh, to the very end of seven. And oh, yeah. when it, and so like, this is kind of the, okay, the audience of everybody, the Babylonians included the, the Gentiles included. This is the section before we move into the rest when eight to the end goes back to, um, uh, more the Jewish audience, just kind of, again, understanding what we're reading. So it kind of collapses that in a good way. And at the same time, uh, it, it provides kind of this hinge out of kind of this royal court kind of narrative mm-hmm. chapters, now moving on to prophetic chapters. So now to the end, we'll have four visions. But chronologically, this we're is back. yeah a, kind of a jump backwards in the story. Mm-hmm. Now we're kind of, you know, we left Daniel in his maybe 90s-ish right. at the lion's den, and now we're jumping back to his late 60s, 70s. With Belshazzar. Mm-hmm, uh, kind of here with this when he receives this vision. And so this vision occurs before the lion's den. And so, again, mm-hmm. if we're, like, remembering this main theme of, like, what we'll see, what we saw all through the courtship, now we'll see it continually all through the prophecy as God is sovereign. He's still in control. He's still the one doing all this. Right. And if that was the main message, and that was even, again, Daniel now having this extreme, you know, vivid dream mm-hmm. for him to then be like, and, yeah, three verses about the lions. Because who's really, like, it's not about the lions. Mm-hmm. It's not right. even about me. It's not about the lions. This is all about God mm. control. Yep. Well, well, that's a great, that's a great reminder and something for us to continue to wrap our brains around. It just seems like in a time, one of the things I wrote myself a note was realizing, okay, so prophecy feels important now. The reminder of who God is and that he's in control and that he knows what's going on feels important now. And, and then we go, wow, but now, especially this year, not just any time in America, but this year going, okay, we're in these crises. We've got this great division. We've got these ethnic divides. We've got this pandemic. We've got an election that seems like dual hurricanes, dual hurricanes, <laughs> murder hornets, murder, right? Hornets. I mean, you name it. Right. And yet what we're experiencing is, is still just nothing compared to 70 years of exile. I mean, that just struck me as like being stuck. Imagine if, if, if you're how important prophecy would potentially be the reminder that God is in control. If, our nation had been conquered on 9-11. Not just a building, two buildings fell down and a few thousand people died. Horrendous, awful, but we had actually been invaded, conquered, and now we're, you know, we're in 2001. Did I say 11, 2001? September 11, 2001. What did yeah. I say? Anyway, I think you said 9-11. I said 9-11. Okay, okay. good. But, but how now the idea of being, if, we're ni- if we were 19 years into our exile in... I don't know, Afghanistan or Saudi Arabia or wherever it was that would get credit for that, wherever he would have us. So, boy, prophecy would suddenly, the thought, the thought that God had prophesied that we were going to get out of this yeah, would, I mean, so much even bigger than anything we can wrap our brain around. We call mm-hmm. 2020 an awful year. Man, Daniel's 70, approximately 70 years into exile. Yeah. Which, man, that just is a, that's a totally other... Well, way of thinking. We, we talked about it a little bit at the beginning of uh, this that uh, as a, as Americans, we should probably be identifying more with the Babylonians than the yeah. Israelites in this um, thing that we we tend to we tend to think of ourselves as the um, heroes, and that's that's right. 
We always identify with the good guys. Always identify with the good guys. And and maybe you need to broaden what you're applying here. Um, mm-hmm. But this is definitely one of those things where we um we we we're <clears throat> as as bad as it is to be quarantined. We can learn a lot of things from exile and quarantine. Right. It's it's not the same. But thing. it's not the same. You can also understand why these passages, for example, for the early Christian African Americans in America, why these passages of exile, like I mean, the, the the common one was the Moses passage out of slavery, but this was these concepts of God remove okay, taking people out of exile was important. So part of why we have Chris Sherrod here is because he's preaching Sunday, and you know, there's three, there's kind of three main headings uh, under theology. You've got um, doctrine or dogma, which is essentially conversations about God between believers. And you've got uh, apologetics, which is essentially conversations about God between a believer and non-believers. Um, and, and honestly, I think a lot of times within the believer yeah, within about their the own doubts. About their own. Yep. Yep. And so very often I think it's the non-believer in me that apologetics also mm-hmm. has a huge impact on. Absolutely. And then ethics, which is how to then apply this to right living. So one of your passions, Chris, is apologetics. I mean, it's probably all of ours, but in particular, you you have a particular bent that you enjoy doing that. And so coming in this Sunday to talk about how prophecy and apologetics mix, what's your, uh, not giving away, not asking for spoilers or anything, but like where are you going with some of that stuff this week? I think for most people when they think of uh, Scripture, why we believe Scripture, well, I think, well, a lot of people don't think about it. Like, why do we believe the Bible is God's word? And uh, I think there's a ton of great areas like archaeology or textual criticism or history that backs up the Bible. But that doesn't, <clears throat> excuse me, that doesn't mean it's supernatural. In other words, a book can be historically accurate. We can have original manuscripts written by eyewitnesses about an event. Um, and we can have really great numbers of copies of ancient books. That doesn't mean, though, that it's supernatural. So what what prophecy does that other books don't do is it sets the Bible apart in that it has the supernatural ability to predict or foresee future events, and then you see them coming true. Not all of them have come true, and they're not always crystal clear, but there's enough of them where you're like, there's no way a human mm-hmm. could have just guessed that that was going to happen. Uh, and And it's not like a fortune cookie where it's so vague, like, you will meet someone today, you know, where mm-hmm. you're like, oh my goodness, I met someone today. Uh, but it's <laughs> it's like shows. specific stuff, yeah, where you're going, there's just no way that could have been. He you will be haunted that. by a decision. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. That's every day of my life. Exactly. Yeah. I shouldn't have gotten Chinese. <laughs> <laughs> so um, anyways, I love that the Bible gives enough examples uh, where you can just go, yeah, that's clearly sets the Bible apart. The Book of Mormon doesn't have fulfilled prophecy. Um, the Quran has one that Muhammad made that he would return to Mecca, and then he returned to Mecca. So that's different than hundreds of years later, some of these things happening. But uh, there's nothing in other religious books that make it where clearly that was not, you know, that wasn't, there's just no way that someone could have just, you know, guessed yeah. that it wasn't, yeah. Yeah, I ran across a quote from Martin Luther uh, that really, I think, again, probably prevailed the opinion that he's expressing prevailed until the, probably the 17th century that really it's only modern times that we kind of have grown into an area where we're questioning kind of the 
the authority and the reliability of scripture. Whereas he, he, him in a commentary of Daniel was talking about the interpretation here specifically in seven um, and reflecting back on its mirror passage in two uh, and saying that in this interpretation and opinion, uh, all the world are in agreement. History and fact abundantly establish the interpretation of this prophecy as true. Right. And it's like, <laughs> we don't think that anymore. Yeah. Like right. that, we've, we've clearly from the 1700s to now, like there's been a great departure uh, into the fact of so much like textual criticism. Now, you know, we talked about it several weeks ago yep. and the idea of, of dating this book, you know, most, there's a lot of scholarly work that just immediately looks at this. And because it's something predictive of right. a future event, they think, well, then that's proof. This is written later. And, and almost the only proof, the only proof. Right. Yeah. By there's no everything other, else about this book indicates it's from the 600s. Right. No room for any other conversation because right. there's no way you could do get that this accurate. Yeah. This precise, see something that all the pieces would fall in very, very in, in succinct alignment unless it was written later looking back. Yep. And it's like back in the 90s, remember the Jesus seminar? Mm-hmm. Like all these scholars got together to decide what Jesus actually said, but then right. you look at what all of them already believe. Yeah. What they come out with is, yeah, what it's they, not supernatural, new miracles right. happen, you're like, I could have told you that before. Yeah, I could have told you that's what you, you were going to come meetings, to. You had these meetings, yeah, because you already believed that, and so you're not going to... I could have told you that's what they were going to say. <laughs> yeah, right. exactly. Right. <clears throat> Interesting. And, and this is a, again, when we talk about Daniel in particular, and we got six chapters of mostly prophecy from Daniel coming, and this, I mean, these are some, from his time period, from the 600s, ev- even if it was from the 100s, some of it is still fantastically accurate prediction about the future. Even if they wrote it in the 100s, there's still some, which I I don't have, I see zero reason to believe it was written any time other than the 600s when it claims to have been written. None, except that some of these prophecies are freakishly accurate, which, I mean, to me just says they're accurate. It doesn't mean that they Mm -hmm. had to be made written later. But we're going to see all that. So what does that do like a so apologetically or his confidence in your faith or whatever, what does that do? What is this or these other prophecies? Don't don't just the Daniel ones. What do you? Yeah. How does that give comfort to you? Have you ever found that to be helpful with non-believers, like in your experience? Yeah. Well, so I think that, and, and I will mention this Sunday, but the two big questions that, I mean, pretty much every issue, especially moral issue, issues are going to come down to is: Is there a God and has He spoken? Because if you're talking about marriage, how do you define marriage? Well, that depends. Is there Did, a God? Is, is there a God? Is he the designer and the definer of marriage? What about gender or sexuality? Well, it depends. Is he mm. the designer and definer? So most moral issues are going to come back to, okay, well, let's see what the Bible has to say, or it's just your opinion. And I'm going to start off talking about there's basically mm. two options. There's either we guess whether or not there's a God or he's revealed himself to us. And if we're just guessing, then we're really in trouble because anything goes. So part, again, where prophecy comes in is it helps give me confidence that, okay, this is this is the very words of God, and so I need to listen to it. I need to receive it and not just think of it as a story. Um, yeah, so I think I, I like watching when I teach Examples of fulfilled prophecy. I like watching people's eyes get bigger. Or mm-hmm. I'm going yeah. to talk on yeah. Sunday about um, the prophecy in Ezekiel about Tyre and how that was fulfilled in two mm-hmm. different parts by Babel, by the Babylonians with Nebuchadnezzar and then by Alexander the Great. Right. And it's just so cool because you're like, I mean, that was fulfilled in two different parts 
couple hundred years apart, and it was like the details and all these things and how even Alexander the Great, you can look up, you know, what, what was his greatest victory ever or siege ever, and they'll talk about it, it was against Tyre. And right. like, that's what Ezekiel was alluding to. So yep. I just love where people just go, no way, because they only usually know about <laughs> – when they think of prophecy, they think of end times – Right. Or maybe some prophecy around, around. from this time forward. Yes. They don't realize yeah, that it's What's could have the been percentage? Like two thirds, three quarters, four fifths of oh, prophecies right. have already been fulfilled. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I've heard up to seventy percent. But the, and then we think of usually like, oh, Jesus being born in Bethlehem. Like, oh yeah, right. that was one of the, but there's way more you know, that oh, you yeah. can look at. So And kind of even in my own story, you were talking, Chris, specifically about Chris Legg. Yeah. Uh, specifically about the encouragement to uh, non-believers, but this was one of the ones that, for me as a teenager, was mm. a huge encouragement. I mean, my own faith of yeah. seeing the Bible have this like specific application that was not just kind of like again something that was only looking forward, but it's like looking back is already fulfilled. Um, and even though I was probably exposed to that in a much more uh, uh, f- maybe fundamental way, I I I remember I had uh, baseball cards. Right. Of all the beasts, and on the back you oh, had the stats. no way! Yeah, you had the stats, and on the stats it had. Does your mother stats. still have those? I don't know. Probably not. Oh. but but again, I mean, like even even in that, even in a form that I was like, well, I I kind of I, I will probably introduce my kids differently than I was introduced to. Did you like play things. a game with those? Like no, has, cool. yeah, the collectibles. Mine has seven heads. You got, so, no, you got to know the you got to know the stats of all the beasts. Yeah, like from Daniel. Right. Yeah, like literally yeah. the ones from Daniel. The ones from Daniel. Yeah. Wow. I don't know if they came with like a beet flavored bubble gum or something in there, but wow. Yeah. Oh wow. But no, they they really did have these cards. But what it did, I mean, again, for the first time, it, it just brought this this understanding of a God who's in control in a totally different way. Um, because you know, again, here I was as a kid, only looking forward to an unknown future and thinking, how's God going to be able to do this? And then to now see, oh, the Bible's not just pointing towards the future and saying He's in control. It was pointing into the future way back then, saying he was in control. And between then and now, everything's just proven he's in control. So I should be accounting the same thing, kind of continuing to look forward. Yeah. yeah. And that's one of the things, too, that it gives you, well, it gives you comfort in times like this or any times, but can you know peace without knowing what's next? Mm. And you can if you understand that there's a sovereign God who's none of this is taken by surprise. Right. He's not wringing his hands. He's not trying to figure out and... Um, trying to decide who he's going to vote for. Like it's, you know, he's sovereign. Right. And so you can just rest in the fact that nothing, none of this is going to change my salvation, my eternal destiny, right. and, and God's history is actually going somewhere. Yeah. yeah. How could Daniel stand in those pictures you showed with yeah. his back to the lions? You know, yeah. as you're just thinking about it. Yeah. Well, because he saw, he had this dream. Yeah. Like he Things knows. like this, he's already he, seen. He truly has woven into a fabric of his filter and his worldview. God's got this. Nothing else matters. The greatest kings that I've ever even seen and had the pleasure of knowing is powerless in comparison to our God. Then yeah, what's, yeah. What's some lines thrown in? Wow, that's a great. That's some great points. Or you know, just looking at the how terrifying some of these visions are and being like, my nightmares are way worse than these lions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. This is just a lion. This isn't a bear with ribs hanging out of its mouth. This oh, isn't my gosh. a beast with, you know, six, teeth, four yeah. sets of wings and iron teeth and whatever. Like, And maybe, and I don't know how much, you know, you'll be able to get to this or we'll be getting to this when you go through the prophecies. But a lot of probably this this imagery is more lost on us. 
Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, to the original audience, it, it probably wasn't kind of as fanciful or such an extreme kind of leap. It would have been much more relatable then. And again, I think that just kind of speaks to the beauty of of God using prophecy to yeah. comfort his people yeah. that this really probably would have been much more relatable to them. And then of course where the, they are, the message, they would be much more desperate for the message. Um, so yeah, to get, to get prophecy in a relatable comforting way. Um, again, I think it's just beautiful that this book so perfectly weaves that in. Yeah. And I would, I mean, just add on to there, like kind of talking about what we were talking about at the beginning, more towards the beginning, the, the idea that, if if you're finding prophecy not comforting, yes, um, you're doing it wrong. Well, you, yeah, you're doing it wrong, and you're you're probably relying on yourself. Like we're we're real comfortable in America, like with this, we've got this mentality, especially maybe in East Texas. Like, I'll don't worry, I'll I'll figure this out. Or I've got a, I've got a plan for when the storm comes mm-hmm. or whatever, and you don't you don't know this storm, but God does, and so that that desperation is something that He seems to desperation for Him, not desperation like throwing our hands up in the air and not whatever, but desperation for Him, something that He seems to speak very calmly into and almost value inside of His people. That if you are desperate for anything other than him, that's idolatry. I read a quote. I think it was Corey Ten Boom a few months ago uh, where she said, Is God your steering wheel or your spare tire? Yep. I saw that too just the other day. Really? Yeah, yeah. I had not seen that before. It's pretty good. Which is a, our tendency is, of course, you know, I, I was raised on that. My parents grew in their faith a lot during because we didn't really go to church until I was six and then that church was not fund not very sound theologically or even biblically in some ways. In some ways it was, some ways it wasn't. <clears throat> so it wasn't until I was like fourteen that in many ways my parents began to really grow in their faith. And early on, one of my dad's favorite sayings was like, You you do all you can and let God take care of the rest. Mm-hmm. And that was just that was yeah. just a wise saying in his right, mind. Right. He would now he would totally repudiate that now as just the extreme folly. But but yeah, that's the spare tire. <clears throat> you take care of all you can. You do your job. And when you can't handle it anymore, that's when you say, Jesus, take the wheel. That's exactly right. That's exactly well, right. and it's it's almost sad to say like how many people because we had this in my home the footprints uh, yes thing oh yeah. man where it's like there's two <laughs> two sets I of could, footprints I could. I could quote the whole poem yes. to you because yeah. it was it was over one of our toilets. Yeah. I would say bathrooms. It's in everybody's it's in bathrooms. Every, everybody's <laughs> bathroom. It's not in their living room. And I'm just sitting there, you know, doing my business <laughs> and reading this poem over and over and over again. But I did see a funny meme recently where it's the, the guy <laughs> they was rewrote like, it. When I was, somebody was like, "And what's that that long yeah drag you. drag when I dragged you?" <laughs> yeah, exactly. What's that blood? Right. That's where I had to smack you in the head, right. like. That's where I had to break your legs and carry you over my shoulders. Like, yeah, yeah, there was, there's a, there's definitely an entire thing ready to be made based on that. It's the, a great what poem, it's though. really like. Yeah, to, to to try to, yeah, it was in that I carried you. Yeah, the, the weird, the weird part in the real story, it would be, what are those footprints? Oh, that was the that was the one time I didn't have to carry you the entire time. You're, I let you toddle along for a little uh, yeah. ways. What's that face plant? Well, that's when I had to pick you back up. <laughs> right. like, why why isn't it going in a straight line? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> why is it making circles? 
Headed, you, it headed straight for the ocean. Do That's you really have to ask that one? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, when we, and then after you this Sunday, then I'm going to do a little bit more on prophecy and touch on, in particular, like the general principles and then uh, of studying it. So you're going to talk about some of the important understanding of it, I think, is going to be, and I think people are going to love it. Then studying it and then um, talk a little bit more on this principle of Daniel uh, being able to make it where he was. Why was he? Back to that, how do you live in a culture that's not as friendly to your faith? Mm-hmm. And even more, I mean, and other crises and other difficulties and whatever, how do you do that? And what we're picking up so far and we'll use this as a transition time. And I'm actually probably going to show the also the in two weeks, therefore the Bible, uh, the Bible project video on Daniel that shows how Daniel's broken down. I don't mm-hmm. know if you guys have seen it, but it's really oh, it's, it's really good. Yep. yep. Shows just kind of the basic breakdown of Daniel. So then we've got prophecy. And I have no idea. I will tell you guys, I have not, I don't think I've ever preached through mm. apocryphal language. So I've talked through Revelation, talked through Daniel. But I don't think I've ever preached how, through. How it. much have you taught? I'm trying to even rack my own brain. How much have you taught through poetry? Not much. Yeah, not much. Because I feel like if, I mean that's the very similar things. So yep. Your same proclivity towards poetry, I mean, is the same align aligning factor with prophecy. Right. Yeah. And so it it has to have a lot of the same kind of understandings or approaches of <clears throat> whenever you're speaking in metaphors or similes or uh, any kind of bigger expressions. Uh, you. To, to take it and to go to, say, the minute, <coughs> accurate across all the boards and all faceteds, yep. then you're missing out on kind of, again, the genre of what it is. But yet it, it isn't that you can't speak very truly and very accurately within the analogy, but when the analogy right. stops, you stop. Like, yeah, you that's right. keep going. Yep. I had a hermeneutics professor who told me that, uh, and I'll leave his name out in case I'm misquoting him, told us that when you're reading revelations you need to read it more like a rap song than you currently are and i was like huh wow i didn't i didn't see that one coming that's, that's speaking to the your audience very well that's really good yep anyway. very cool well, i'm i'm looking forward to it i think it's going to be good I, it's going to be great i think we we're we're super excited about this we're super excited about having two services um it's different, isn't it? it's so different, different. To go back to that um, it it was, you know, when we when we started doing one service, I I felt like uh, didn't know how to how to do that again for a little while, but then that became so normal, and now it's like, wow, two services, this is intense. But mm-hmm. y'all go to our web website and register, and make sure you register to bring your preschoolers so mm-hmm. they can do their programming as well. But very cool. It's gonna be good. We're super excited. Um, thanks for joining us, Chris. Yep, my pleasure, man.